New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our latest foray into our listener questions. Today, we're asking what's happening at Liverpool and Man United. We're picking the players we like for no specific reason. We're looking at European team merch and we're doing much, 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 much more than that. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who doesn't love a late Olise free kick as much as I do, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I, I, yeah, I didn't love that one so much. I love the opening goal. I love Manchester United winning. I did not love uh, Fergie time coming back to bite Manchester United. But that was a fun game. Sometimes you got to drop points. Such is life. Yeah, I like to call it a karmic offset for any weekend offsides, Taylor. <laughs> ah, I see. That's that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the soccer gods making up for the offside decision. All right, yeah. I'm good with that. That's fine. That's fine. I saw some people on Twitter going as far as saying, you know, the title has been decided in this week alone. With these decisions and these late goals conceded, nah, didn't didn't work for me either, Taylor. I see. I mean, I think it will be. Yeah, I was making a face at that one (laughs) mostly because it's like if you think Manchester United were heavily involved in that title race, I'm not sure I was in agreement. I do think the suspension to Casemiro will be a problem. Manchester United obviously playing Arsenal this weekend. That seems like a tough one to replace. That seems like it's going to be bad for United. And so in that way, maybe that that cements it as Arsenal versus Manchester City. We shall see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's definitely not watching Australian Open tennis as he speaks <laughs> to us today. Graham Rutherford, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, not 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 me at all, and I haven't been watching Australian Open tennis since two in the morning. I barely, have barely slept. I think about an hour and a half sleep last night. Yeah, this is how it is for me at this time of year. Ah, uh, January always fun. I used to do lots of tennis work, Graham, and January is my least favourite month of the year yeah. because of the Australian swing. And and the U.S. Open is pretty tough as well. So I, I believe it's th- half three in the morning in Australia, and they're they're still playing. So at least we're not th- at least we're not there. At least it's not half three in the morning when we're recording right now. Just think they're playing upside down, and the toilets are flushing the wrong way, and everything. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, and the loser gets a, a big boot as a punishment. <laughs> That's right. I'd have called it Charles Wazers. Rounding out the pack, a man who loves listener questions like he loves analysing USMNT camps. Joe Lowry, howdy. Howdy, Ryan Bailey. I do like listener questions. I do like analyzing USMNT camps. We got a roster yesterday for January camp. I told myself, guys, I told myself this camp doesn't matter very much. There's no manager, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get excited. And then I look at the roster and I'm like, ah, I'm kind of, I kind of like it. I'm kind of excited by a few of the names on this list. So we can chat about that in just a second. But Ryan, I'm happy to be here to do some listener questions. We're happy you're here. California Joe today. That's right. Right? That's right. right? That's right. I'll be headed yeah. out to the first, at least, if not both, January camp games. I'll be at Bank of California Stadium on Wednesday, baby. Joe, have you been allowed out of witness protection today? I have. I have. So one of the consequences of me being away is that I am in a slightly larger room. So I have some pillows in front of me, maybe tomorrow or, or I guess next week because we won't record tomorrow. But I'll have a few other soundproofing elements around me. But for today, Graham, I am out of witness protection, baby. Looks very Californian, I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Feels good. Feels good to be yeah. out. <laughs> Listen, Joe has um, uh, got a surfboard under one of his arms as he records. <laughs> That's what Graham's referring to. Uh, it's heavy, but, you know, yeah. I, I do what I can. And put the vape pen down for a second, Joe. Cause no, we want you can't to, uh... make me. You can't make me. I won't. If Graham gets to watch tennis, I get to have my vape pen. Fair. Fair. Okay. Well, if you, if you must hold your surfboard and vape pen, Joe, please tell us a little bit about this USMNT camp. What's going on with it? Is it actually a big deal? Uh, surprise inclusions, etc. so on. Have at yeah. it. So it's never a big deal, right? January camp and, and Taylor and I, Taylor was sort of talking about this before we started recording. January camp is, is never a big thing. So the, the caveat that always comes with it is that it is not an official FIFA window. So what does that mean? Well, it means that any club that is actively in season 
does not have to release their players. So is Christian Pulisic, well, that's a bad example because he's hurt. Tyler Adams, not in this camp. Weston McKinney, not in this camp. All of the U.S.'s best players are not in this camp. So that is the caveat. The purpose then with January camp is to get players in to a high-level training environment from Major League Soccer where they, they might not have the same quite high-level training environment with their actual clubs, although that is changing every single year now, or to get players from Europe or from Latin America who aren't really playing with their clubs into the fold. Now, there's a couple of exceptions to that rule really in this roster, but that's the main caveat. This is mostly domestic players, mostly players that are going to make up the fringes of any real competitive roster. That said, Taylor, and I want to get your opinion on this, there are some names that, that really get me. The first thing that caught my eye was the number of dual nationals that are in this roster. So Jonathan Gomez, who could play for Mexico, could play for the U.S. I don't think anything that happens in this camp will cap tie him, but he's with Real Sociedad in Spain, hasn't played a minute for them yet in La Liga. You've got then, uh, shoot, who was the other names here? You've got Kate Cowell, who is still a dual national, though it doesn't seem like Mexico's really coming in that hard. Brendan Vasquez could play for either side. And then Alejandro Zendejas is the big one. Club America is in season in Liga Mekis, but he's still here. So I don't know how U.S. soccer pulled that strings because he has been playing for them and has scored a few goals this year. So those names and those dual nationals in particular are the ones that caught my attention. Taylor, what stands out to you here? Uh, Zendejas, for sure. It sounds like Club America were okay with releasing him for one of the two games, uh, or maybe he'll be there for the whole camp. He can play in one of those games. And my assumption is that uh, that is maybe partially because they want to reward his work, but also because anytime you play for the national team, any national team, it's going to put you in the shop window a little bit more. It probably bumps up the value a little bit. So I'm guessing that's why they're okay with it. Uh, but that is a, a really exciting one uh, for him to be there. So too is Brandon Vasquez. Uh, not a player that I was worried about someone else swooping in for, but just somebody that we thought maybe there was an outside very unlikely possibility he would make the World Cup squad. He obviously did not, but the indications were that he would be in immediate consideration for future teams, and here we are with him in this camp. Uh, I look forward to seeing him get to minutes for the U.S., and then... Really, it's just sort of opportunities to see players that either we haven't seen as much of or to see players that uh, I'm excited to see like make that next step if they can. Paxton Pomacall being a very uh, good example of that, a player who we've sort of like seen previously but hasn't had uh, many opportunities at senior level of late, hasn't had like the most consistent of times at club level due, due largely to injury. So I'm excited for Paxton Pomacall to be in there. Joe, I know you've got some love for him. And then Paxton Aronson would be the opposite of that, a very young player. Uh, obviously, Brendan Aronson's brother. He's made the move to Eintracht Frankfurt, but it sounds like they're okay with him coming back to play for the national team because very unlikely that he's going to break into that first team of the Bundesliga anytime soon. So you get that sort of mixture of players who've been around, who get an opportunity to be sort of the veteran here. I remember going back to one of the first Camp Cupcakes, uh, and Dax McCarty was sort of that figure of a veteran who in any other team would have been one of the guys who's like, oh yeah, that guy's in there. But instead, you've got a kind of leader, and then you've got the youngsters in there who are looking to make an impact impact. Uh, so I like that balance as well. Yeah. The only other name that I'll toss out here before we get to questions is Julian Gressel, who I think is the best story in this entire camp. Born in Germany, comes to the U.S., goes to, yeah, to college at Providence, so comes through college soccer, is drafted by Atlanta United in the MLS Super Draft, has like the, the weirdest path to playing at a high level in professional soccer that, that pretty much you could imagine. Stars for Atlanta, goes to D.C., now is in Vancouver, another weird sort of pathway for him throughout the last couple of seasons, but it's 29 is now an American citizen, so passed the citizenship test, and has been good enough to warrant this call-up for a while. I don't really think there's a chance that Gressel is the U.S.'s starting right back going, going forward for pretty much any reason. But I wrote this earlier this week. We've seen him play in central midfield before. He can play as a wingback. He can play as a right back. He can play pretty much all over the field. And I, I genuinely think he's one of the best crossers on this side of the Atlantic. So maybe there's some sort of role player, utility player, baseball style spot for him in the U.S.'s roster, not just in this camp, but going forward. So I've got my eyes on Gressel. I don't know that we'll be able to learn a ton about him yeah. from these games, but I would not be surprised if we saw him back in March. I would say, final thing for me on this one, for people who are going to watch these games or are medium interested, which is, I think, where I am. I think it's where a lot of people are. It's coming off the World Cup. We don't have a permanent manager. We don't know who the next coach is going to be. Uh, it's it's an out of, uh, like, 
season out of window window basically uh this roster is is a lot of different players who we don't know if they will end up playing for the senior team ever that you tend to get a few guys who make it out and a few guys who have like one or two caps to their name and it's always in january camps but i think because there isn't that permanent manager in place because there isn't as much pressure this feels like an opportunity just to watch some guys play and see who stands out and maybe that's the way to sort of look at these games is who's a player that just catches your eye who's somebody that you think i wouldn't mind seeing more of them i don't think it needs to be about systems and tactics and who fits in where and can this guy do this and can he also do that I think it's about hey that guy looks pretty fun I want to see more of him John Tolkien seemed like he could get up and down the pitch and do some defending but also put in some crosses let's see more of him it's so, gone. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I want to see that's it's, it's back. I follow him on Instagram and it looks like he is growing it back so by the time he's at this camp maybe it'll be there in, in, in all its glory <laughs> I, I agree with everything you just said there Taylor I, I also like the aspect of giving players who are on the bubble some form of reward mm-hmm. for yeah. and some encouragement, I guess, that maybe they, they're, they're not getting in a, in a World Cup squad. They're not quite there yet. Maybe they're not getting for a competitive game. But you bring them into this camp, it's almost like an, an acknowledgement that you're not far away. And, and I, I do like that as, aspect of it as well. So USMNT games next week against Serbia and Colombia. Um, uh, Anthony Hudson will be in charge of those games, as Taylor referenced. Uh, the Serbia game, Joe, HBO Max and Peacock. Do we yeah. get to flip a coin as to where we watch it? This is fun. Yeah, so I mean, Peacock is the the streaming side of Universo, so which is NBC thing. So that's where the Peacock comes in. And then TNT, uh, US Soccer will be making its TNT debut in that game against Colombia. I'm curious. It seems like I, have, I still haven't gotten a chance to watch the, the broadcast and stuff around the U.S. Women's National Team game from earlier this week. But, you know, they made some news. Marcus Beasley came out and said, you know, that, that they shouldn't bring back Greg Peralta after that game and, and then sort of walked back those comments later on. So, I mean, TNT and, and Warner Brothers Sports Discovery, whatever it is, has been making moves and making news with their broadcast so far. So we'll see what happens on so- TNT. So they're just sharing rights for that game. I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused. Right, well, no, I feel like you share my confusion. It's, it's, yeah. it's. When you turn on Peacock, you're going to see Telemundo. You're going to see Universal. So it's going to be Spanish language broadcast. So US ah, Soccer right. has okay. a Spanish language deal and an English sure. language deal. Streaming partners for both. Cable partners for both. Right, got it. That makes sense now. I thought it was like that time that Saudi Arabia just copied Being Sports and hoped that no one noticed. They did that for about three <laughs> years, and I wondered if Peacock were doing that with yeah. HBO Max. <laughs> I was confused there too. Thank you for clarifying that, Joe. Before we get to listen to questions, we've had some very tragic breaking news from US soccer. Anton Walks, Charlotte FC's Anton Walks, uh, sadly passed away this morning as we recorded. Uh, as we record, um, a boating accident in Miami. Uh, it was a Londoner, former Spurs youth player, had a young daughter as well. Very tragic scenario. This one. Um, we offer our condolences to his family. Um, yeah, this is this is pretty devastating. Got to say, um, he arrived. I, I'd never met. Anton, he arrived at the club after my time uh, that I was there, but by all accounts was very, very well liked indeed. So very sad news for the US soccer community there. Anton Walks, RIP. Listen to questions. Let's start off with Tristan Schreifer's question here. What is going on with Liverpool? How did this team go from a few points from uh, go go from a few points from winning the quadruple to ninth in the table? Has the midfield been the main culprit, like most Liverpool fans are saying? Would Jude Bellingham really be the solution? Graham, six losses this season for Liverpool in the league. Yeah. Uh, they only lost two games last season. They're out of the League Cup. Real Madrid awaited them in the next round of the Champions League. Her boy, oh. what's going? on <laughs> yeah so the drop-off in Liverpool's performance levels this season has has been pretty dramatic when you compare them to last season when Liverpool were two games away from a, a quadruple as, as Tristan references in, in his question Joe referenced a piece on The Athletic on Weekend Review this week which charts the drop-off in the counter-pressing Liverpool have been able to do this season and I think that's a big reason behind their poor form because that is so central to their identity as, as a Klopp team I do think the midfield has been the area where most of the problems have had their root. And and I know Liverpool never really had the greatest technicians in midfield, at least before they added uh, Thiago Alcantara. But they had excellent counter-pressers. And you take that away, as has happened this season, and the attack is weaker because they're not winning the ball high up the pitch. And the defence is also weaker be- because of that as well. They're, 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 they're not ha- they've not got that platform um, further away from goal. And... 
teams can get in behind more easily. They're having more joy in the centre of the pitch. They can they can exploit, which there's always been space in behind Liverpool. It's just been that they have relied on the pace of Van Dijk and their defenders, which is another thing. Those those guys are getting on a little bit. Certainly Van Dijk and, and Matip are getting on a little bit. So maybe there's been a drop off in physicality as well. I, I also think a lack of reps has been a real issue for Liverpool, given the, the number of injuries that they have had. There's absolutely no familiarity in, in that midfield at the moment in terms of Jude Bellingham he isn't a one-man solution but I think he could be part of the solution and if I was a Liverpool fan I'd be encouraged by how they're being linked with Bellingham and Matthias Nunes at at Wolves I think they need more than one new midfielder to fix that part of the team Liverpool really needed to address this this issue in the summer and instead they went and spent big big on Darwin Nunes and I've seen a lot of fans go after FSG for that and say they've brought this on Klopp and, and, and the team I do have some sympathy because Liverpool spent a fortune on Naby Keita and he was meant to be the succession plan. He was meant to be the guy that kind of took this this Liverpool midfield forward into, into a new generation and that hasn't really worked out. So Liverpool, it feels like they're going to need to spend big on that area of the team. And and I, maybe this is too simplistic. Maybe, Joe, you have some other thoughts, other tactical thoughts on this. But yeah, I do think the midfield is, is the root of a lot of mm. their problems. Yeah, I, I think it is too I want to go back one step, though, and first just say injuries. I think it is very difficult even for an elite Premier League club that spends and has the financial backing of a club like Liverpool to overcome all of the injuries that they've had to deal with this year. So Arthur has been out. Uh, Arthur has been out. Luis Diaz has been out. Diogo Jota has been out. Uh, Konate, Robertson, Thiago Henderson have all been out for stretches as well. So it's it's not like their entire squad has been decimated, but they've dealt with injuries and they've dealt with injuries in the midfield and in the back line and, and really out wide. So it has been a weird year for Liverpool in that way. Klopp has had to change his shape. He's tried to tinker here and there with a little bit of the positional alignment stuff. One other one other piece of the puzzle that I think might play into this here is maybe teams have sort of just figured Liverpool out, right? The, the, the whole deal with Liverpool for a long time, Graham, you mentioned it, the, the midfield is not... Always the most technical, although bringing in Thiago sort of evolved them one step beyond what they were before. But you sort of deal with the heavy metal play in the middle. You, you try to track Salah's vertical runs in behind. And then Trent Alexander-Arnold is really the focal point of their attack and, and the creative hub for this team. If you can sort of figure out ways to press Alexander-Arnold or maybe better off, you might be better off exploiting the space in behind him. And we saw Napoli do that in the Champions League with great effect with Cavaradona down that side. I think teams are starting to realize or or are now starting to figure out how to exploit that space and push Liverpool's fullbacks back. But yeah, the midfield, the counterpressing numbers are way down. Graham referenced that. I don't need to talk about it again. And just generally, Liverpool are gappy. They're they're getting old. They're gappier really than they've ever been before. They're allowing the 12th most expected goals in the Premier League this season, which is for a team like Liverpool, shocking. Like that's, that's horrific for a team that is this good or has been this good and has this much talent in the team. They're allowing the most expected goals from opposing counterattacks. I mean, it's it's bad, right? It is really bad. So between age and injuries and just a lack of of key movements and personnel in the right spots and maybe teams sort of having, having the inside scoop on Liverpool at this point, I think they need to evolve. Bellingham would help. Another midfielder would help. Getting healthy, I think, would probably help the most right now. If they get healthy, I, I would not be surprised to see them climb back into the Champions League spots, but they have their work cut out for them. I agree with everything that's been said so far. The only little difference I think I would say is I think they need to maybe evolve right now. And that's something that's been speculated. Do you change the formation? Do you change up the approach a little bit for the rest of this season if they're not going to spend money? I think Klopp's tactics still work. I think gegenpressing is still a very sound idea. You just have to have the personnel to make it happen. And you have to be able to bring in new players. You have to be able to keep everybody fresh. And sort of my TLDR on Liverpool is they've done exceptionally well across the board since FSG took over. But that model really basically requires everything to sort of work pretty well if not completely well once you have things like one or two things going wrong I think it becomes an issue and right now for FSG it seems like they don't want to spend as much money as is required to fully strengthen that squad Uh, like there's obviously the stories about the takeover and will they be for sale now it's are they going to sell a minority stake to finance some acquisitions and some moves but when there isn't that money coming in I hear you Joe that they have spent 
sizable sums on certain players, but it tends to be one or two players that they splash money on. And aside from that, maybe there's a few that cost like four and five million. And then oftentimes their transactions are the returns of loanees. And then they send those loanees back out. And I think for Liverpool, they have to hit those those transfers. Otherwise, they run into problems. Graham, you hit it there with Nabi Keita, uh, a player they signed four, five seasons ago, I think, to be yeah. their solution in midfield. Since then, they've signed one central midfielder. And that's because... Looking at this past season, for example, I know there are people who say Darwin Nunez wasn't where they needed to spend their money, but lest we forget, they lose Sajo Mane in the offseason. And if they don't replace Sajo Mane, then the conversation is, well, that's great you strengthened the midfield, but you didn't sign somebody to replace Mane. No wonder we can't score goals. And, and I think if they're not going about dropping hundreds of millions of dollars every sing- single window, which I don't think that's what FSG wants to do, I think... It requires them to keep finding value and basically to keep that buy-in. And then once you lose some energy, some fitness, some injuries, I think that's where the chickens come home to roost. There, there has been a slight drop-off in, in their transfer activity. And I'm not even sure that's a criticism of, of Liverpool. I think they're reverting to the mean a little bit because yep. their hit rate for a, a number of years was absolutely ridiculous. So going back to 2016, they signed Mane, Wijnaldum, Matip. And then they signed Van Dijk, Salah, Robertson. And then the next year they signed Alisson, Fabinho. And then that's where the drop-off starts yep. to happen. You start to get people like Minamino, Naby Keita's in there. Jota, I guess, is an exception. Thiago, remember his first season, there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion about how he took time to adapt. And and even the players that I guess Luis Luis Diaz is a bit of an exception, but even the players that I would say are not necessarily a bad signing. So Ibrahim Akanati is a perfect example of this. I think he is definitely worth having around. I wouldn't say he's been a flop at Liverpool so far, but has he evolved that defence in the way that someone like Andy Robertson came in and, and evolved that defence from right right from the, the, the get-go, right from his first season? No, he hasn't. He's needed that little bit of time of, of adaptation. Darwin Nunes is the same thing. So I think these players will, in the long term, medium to long term, improve Liverpool, but they haven't done it immediately, and that's what Liverpool were, were, were getting in earlier transfer windows. So it seems like there's a confluence of factors affecting Liverpool's decline. I hope that uh, gets to the core of your question. Tristan, thank you very much. We'll take a quick break more shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's go to Chris Welter's question. It's nice and succinct, this one, Taylor. Dear TSS, Manchester United, good again. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, my answer to that would be yes, question mark? I think so. I think compared to the uh, complete to relative chaos of recent seasons, I think they are in a much stronger position. It seems like the front office makes a little bit more sense. seems like some of the acquisitions have made more sense, and it seems like Eric Ten Hag has a pretty firm grip on the team. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I think there's still a lot of tumult around what will happen with the club. Will they be sold? Who will they be sold to? Who will be kept on? What will the structure look like? 
But what we've learned this season is that Eric Ten Hag is in charge and has control over that squad. Ronaldo's departure is a good example of that. The Ronaldo, uh, or Ronaldo Rashford uh, benching for like sleeping in and missing a meeting or being late to a meeting is another uh, prime example. It seems like there's pretty good buy-in for what Ten Hag wants and how he wants to play. And I think the key personnel in there, Casemiro chief amongst them, like they have reflected that buy-in. He's a player who I thought was coming to be good, but also was coming for the money. It was a big payday for him. It didn't seem like it was going to be nearly the competitive challenge that starting for Real Madrid would be and yet he's bedded in really well he's been a key player for them he's made the squad better than they were certainly and so I think in that way signings that I didn't think were as necessary have worked pretty well uh Anthony I think the the jury is still out but for me that's a player that Ten Hag wanted because he knew him he was a proven entity he knew what he could get out of him and he knew there was buy-in and so I think in that way they are better. There are still obviously areas for improvement, as the draw yesterday would indicate. So to their acquisitions thus far, we talked a lot about that with uh, Veghorst on the transfer show and how that's an okay signing for now, but certainly not reflective of the type of player they want to go for long term. So I, I would say better, good, sure, but maybe not yet where they want to be long term. Yeah, good, not great. Good, not great is how I I feel about Manchester United right now, which is a huge step, right? Which is a huge step to their return to glory. And and we're going to talk way more about Manchester United and and sort of the big picture stuff around the club on the big thing later this week. So that'll be out tomorrow. But I mean, really, Taylor, until they can figure out how to beat Chris Richards, this club just isn't going to progress. I think (laughs) think that's what we're all confident about right now. No, I mean... He looked he good. Got, uh, well, you, you say that, but I think he got a little bit lucky with the hey, penalty call hey, that Graham? might have been. Minded are no, not going to get another refereeing decision for the rest of the season, I think. <laughs> Graham, go watch <laughs> on that basis. Yeah, Graham, Andy Murray's no playing. So, I am. <laughs> okay, all right, cool. Uh, I, I want to go back to Casemiro because I was extremely critical. Well, I guess maybe as extremely critical as I get. I was critical of that signing when Manchester United made it because of the length of the contract. And I, I still am concerned about that. But man, it is feeling more and more worth it every single game. It won't feel so worth it this weekend when they don't have him for the game against Arsenal. But I mean, he has been a transformative signing for this team in midfield. I think you take him out of this team and either put in uh, a replacement level player or just no new signing for Manchester United. And they are not third in the table right now. I I think he has been that important to this team. He's been excellent for them this season. And really, you look at the rest of the squad, it is stronger than it has been before. So Casemiro has helped. You've got Eriksen in the double pivot with Bruno ahead of him. That's been Eric Ten Hag's preferred look as the season has gone on. But then you also have the flexibility against better teams, really, is when we've seen this look, to have Eriksen move forward to the 10 spot, Bruno move a little bit wider, and then add in Fred next to Casemiro for a little bit more solidity in midfield. It's not the ideal look, but we've seen Eric Ten Hag go with that look for for games and have some success this season. Then you add Marcus Rashford playing out of his mind to those factors. And then you know Luke Shaw playing some spot minutes at center back and, and them getting production from surprising places or from places at least that you wouldn't expect early on or, or even midway through a season. All that stuff is is important. So yeah, I agree with Taylor. Good, maybe not at their at their peak yet. Certainly not at their peak yet. I still think they need a right back. I think they need another central midfielder. I think they need a striker. I think over the next two transfer windows, they will have all of those things, maybe pending on what happens with the sale of the club or not. But I think that's really when you when you add in those three signings plus some depth, I think this team could yeah. look more like a title contender. Yeah, retweet everything that has been said. I think the biggest improvement for me since the start of the season, and, and I mentioned this on the Weekend Review, is in the way Ten Hag has organised United off the ball. And I thought the Manchester derby was the best illustration of, of that so far. In, in terms of their possession play and attacking play in general, I, I still think they have quite a bit of progress to make. It's still quite counter-attacking. And, and Joe, you and I have talked about Ten Hag being slightly more pragmatic in, in that respect. It's certainly more counter-attacking than Ten Hag normally likes. The, the problem there, of course, is that he, he doesn't have the long-term focal point to build around. So, so there's only so much he can do until you have that player in place, which brings me back round to Joe's point about the, the, the recruitment that still has to be done. And the biggest priority for the summer is clearly a, a centre-forward. Go, go and sign Victor Osserman. Apparently his release clause is 100 million euros. If you're paying 100 million euros for Anthony, go and pay, go and pay 100 million euros for, for Osserman. And if Mayanetti do that, I bet we'll see a big difference in their attacking sequences. I think you'll see as big an impact on that attack... That, that as uh, Casemiro's had on on the midfield. I also think they probably need a ball carrier in, in midfield, but 
for the first time since Ferguson, I do believe in terms of their starting lineup, and this is a bit of a cliche because I think every people have said this about Manchester United every season for the last ten years, but I think it's actually true this time. I think they're two or three players away from being as strong in terms of their starting eleven as any other team in the Premier League. We, we've teased the big thing episode this week a bunch, uh, but one of the pr- prospective new owners, if the sale were to happen, would be Jim Ratcliffe. Graham, in the unlikely scenario that this happens, is Jim Ratcliffe instantly the most popular owner uh, like Manchester United have ever had? If he comes in and were to buy Osimhen and Jude Bellingham in the same window, <laughs> does that basically cement him as a legend right away? It sounds like you want Todd Bowley, basically, to <laughs> yeah, come in and Bowley, just say, there's it? a checkbook. Yeah, maybe check- <laughs> Todd Bowley should head to Old Trafford. Um, no, he would, be, he would be very popular. And as you say, we'll cover that. And the big thing, uh, yeah. Jim Ratcliffe... Not squeaky clean himself. No. Oh, uh, so uh, but I'm just saying it requires. <laughs> exactly, but I think it would require a new Glazers. owner to spend 200 million. The Glazers aren't going to do that. I don't. I, I don't think yeah. at this point. Uh, so, but if they were like, it, I think that does tick both boxes, right? You get Jude Bellingham, who is obviously English, very young, but also can be that ball carrier, can be that creative midfielder, but can do the defensive side too. And then Osim Hen to just uh, tear apart defenses. Yeah, I feel like then you've 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 got a full stew cooking. Right now, you've got partial stew cooking. You need a full stew. Partial stew. I like it. Sounds like a character from a sitcom. Um, I I think it's also worth noting, Taylor, perhaps, that this team is perceived to be exceeding expectation because expectation was very low in the summer before this season started, wasn't it? If you talk to a Man United fan before the season started, it was, we'll be lucky to get into sixth, was the kind of conversation. And the conversation around Ten Hag was, this guy's going to need three seasons to bed in. Let's not... Get ourselves carried away. We're not going to be anywhere near the top of that table because of X, Y, and Z. And that hasn't come to pass. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yes, I, I, I take your point. I would say that I still think they will do well to finish sixth. I think teams around them will, will wow. continue to strengthen, continue to improve. Uh, and, I, and I think, as we've seen, as we've talked about, if Casemiro with that suspension, suddenly that midfield looks way, way less stable. You still have the striker options, even with Veghorst coming in. I think things could potentially go well and they finish top four. I still won't be surprised if they don't end up making that happen. This feels very much like you've been hurt too many times, Yeah, you're Taylor, guarding you're your heart. not to get overexcited. <laughs> nope. Taylor is keeping his heart under lock and key right now. Yep. <laughs> All right. The only way I, would, I would be surprised if United don't finish in the top four, frankly, at this point. At the start of the season, I didn't see that coming. But yeah. making my judgment now, I think they'll be top four. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, for that question. Let's go to Guy Yedwab's question. Excuse me, Guy. Which players do you have no objective reason to be huge fans of, yet you still have a special place for them in your heart? Mine, says Guy, is Robert Snodgrass, yet somehow Ooh, I'm alone in proclaiming, <laughs> proclaiming hashtag the snod is God. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Graham, my, I'm going to give you two nominees for myself. Obviously, it's the cum dog. Jason Cummings of is course, top yeah. of the list. Uh, he should be in my list. Why is he not in that list? There's no objective reason for anyone to be a huge fan of him, but we all are, <laughs> of course. Yep. My more serious one would be Marcus Rashford. I have no uh, connection to Man United or n- objective reason to be a fan of him. And, and I suppose I'm an England fan. There is that. But for me, he's the only player in my lifetime who's made a real difference to people's lives. And I think that is a real difference maker for That's me, an objective know? reason. That's he, a reason we all like Marcus Rashford. I mean, it's not an objective <laughs> soccer reason then. Like, let's right, let's say that. Like, you, I'm referring to when during the pandemic when he basically forced the government to completely U-turn on one of their policies. Uh, on, it was free school meals for children, underprivileged children, during during uh, when school was out, basically. He does a lot of charity work. Mm. He's done a lot of activism. But basically, he literally reverted government policy through his activism. And I have a lot of respect for that, Graham. Yeah, he he is someone I also have a lot of respect for. I, I took this question in a slightly different way. In yeah, that you did. Players, <laughs> players that I don't really know why I like, but I do like essentially. So first of all, Come I don't taken. know if I don't know if Guy knows this, and this is why he's mentioning him in this question. But Ro- Robert Snodgrass was pretty much my first football hero. He he basically got us promoted one season when he scored this amazing free kick in the playoff final. There should be a snoddy statue outside Fourth Bank. So I don't know if Guy knew that, but anyway, one of my one of my football heroes. But yeah, three players. I'm gonna I'm gonna name three players that I don't really know why I like so much. So one of them is Adama Traore. So I guess there's a little bit there is a reason here in that he's Baby just oil. got very he's got very chaotic vibes and I very much enjoy that and there's just not another football player like him and it's kind of thrilling when he just gets 
motoring with the ball. And, and I always remember that one interview he said he doesn't do any weights. And everyone, everyone believed that. So he's, he's just a lot of fun. Another reason, maybe, that maybe a, a, a nuts, excuse me, another player that I have less of a reason for liking is Lucas Vasquez. I don't know why. I just always want him to do well. It feels like he should have been sold by Real Madrid yeah. years ago. And uh, Florentino Perez once summed up the Galactical strategy by saying it was about Zidanez y Pavones, meaning superstars and non-superstars. <laughs> and it feels like uh, feels like Lucas Vazquez is the Pavon of modern-day Real Madrid. So Graham, he feels like the mortal in that team. So I kind of want him to do well. I know what you mean with Lucas Vazquez. I remember when you were first on TSS as like the Spanish uh, La Liga mm. expert. Uh, and I would always... Like, I think three different times I failed to take the note and would talk about, like, they've got all these, you know, upstart, like, young upstarts who are going to make the team like Lucas Vasquez. And you're like, I, I think he might be 27. <laughs> like, there was there was always that weird <laughs> he's feeling. The, he's the like, Spanish Jesse Lingard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I always thought he was this youngster who was going to make it through. And you're right. I think for that reason, I have a soft spot for Lucas Vasquez as well. Less so than yours. But still, I, I do mm. have some sympathy for him. Yeah, so I've got a soft spot for him. And then another another Spanish player, Iago Aspas, for no particular reason other than he's really good and Premier League fans think he's really bad. Yep. And I, I quite like that. So it feels like it feels like a hipster discovering a band and no one really having heard of that band. Isn't, oh. he, isn't he like, it's his hometown club he's with as well, isn't it? Yeah, Celta Vigo. So Celta's yeah. his hometown club, so he's, there's kind of a good narrative as well, right? Do you remember when Barcelona were scratching around for a striker? <laughs> I should clarify because they've done that a few times over the last few years and they ended up signing Martin Brathwaite. Well, Iago Aspas was the player they went to first and mm. he basically said, no, I'm not leaving, which, admirable, Good I guess. Good uh, Taylor, who you got? I found this question really tough because I kept coming up with answers that I slowly realized I had like objective reasons for liking them. Like, oh, this guy who, oh, he played for Manchester United. Oh, this guy who played for Galatasaray. Drogba would be one of those. I always like sort of had a jealousy for Chelsea fans because I thought Didier Drogba was such a generational player, but then he moved to Galatasaray and I got to support him. So I think that balanced it out. Um, Marcelo would be one that I, I, I think it's because he just always seems to be the life of the party. He seems to be a great locker room presence. Literally, when he did the, the header competition with, with, I think, his son's youth team. But he, he's a player who I always sort of uh, had a soft spot for. I enjoyed Raheem Sterling, similarly, I think because he was always sort of getting attacked for moves that, to me, made sense. Deci- decisions in his career that made sense. And that if other players had made, would have been like, yeah, you got you to respect it. You got to go out. You want to win titles. That's what you want a champion to do. Speaking specifically of when he moved from Liverpool to Man City, felt like he got some unfair uh, press coverage. So that's a player that I always, I sort of... Have enjoyed and when he moved to Liverpool as well, Taylor. Oh, did he really? He got a lot of abuse for that for money grabbing and such. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Mm. In my mind, he was just always a Liverpool player. That's interesting. Where did he come from? QPR, possibly. Was it QPR that? Yeah, somewhere in London. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that that would be two, a couple more under Herrera. But that's again, that starts with Manchester United. But just like he just seems like a solid, solid uh, guy who I would I would want on my squad if I could. Uh, Andre Arshavin for his uh, Q and A's that he used to do, which were always great. My favorite being when he was asked a question about. Uh, like his theories on theoretical physics, to which he responded, "I am I am not an expert in theoretical physics." That was his answer to the question. I, I love the practicality <laughs> of some of his answers to those. Uh, and Ilkay Gundogan is the last one I had on my list. I don't know why I like Il- Ilkay Gundogan so much. I think it's because there was once a photo of him showing up to preseason looking about twenty pounds overweight, and I can respect that. I can respect that. Like maybe in the off season, if you're a footballer, you want to have a good time, and then you show up and put the work in. But he is all in my mind a very underrated player. Even with Man City, even with all he's accomplished there, he's a player who I think you never look at as being a key part in that team. There's always more high profile players, goal scorers, or defenders, or whoever it may be. But I think Gundogan is is sort of the uh, the oil that keeps that engine running on a lot of occasions, and and. I think is due for a move this summer. I forget if that's been agreed or not. I think today it's I saw the boss up. Yeah, there you go. So maybe I will like Ooh. him less when that happens. But for now, I enjoy Okai Gundogan as well. Nice. Uh, Joe, Arshavin, I think, was the correct question to this answer. Can you top that? Uh, no, I can't. But I've got a few. Breck Shea is on my list. It just feels right. I mean, who nice. doesn't love Breck Shea? That's just, that's just a people's choice pick right there. Uh, Emre <laughs> Moore. football player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Emre Moore. Emre Moore. Em- em- Emre Moore was a deep cut for me, thinking <laughs> yep. about this one. So I was thinking back to watching Christian Pulisic at Dortmund, and I was so envious at that time of Osman Dembele. 
because he was just so clearly better than Christian Pulisic and is, is still better. Uh, but but it was those two. And then it was Emre Moore, sort of like the, the third young attacker in that Dortmund team that would get on the field. And he's playing in Turkey right now with Fenerbahce and hasn't really had the, the top tier career that I thought he maybe could. But good memories of watching Emre Moore when, when I was getting up early watching Christian Pulisic play for Dortmund. Presno Kimpembe. I love watching Presno Kimpembe. I just have a, spot, a soft spot for center backs. I love center backs. He is one of the best attacking center backs in the world. Never played outside of PSG, but I, I genuinely love watching him play. And then Tim Krul is the last one that I thought of. I just, I love the antics, the penalty kick antics. I know that irritates people, but I, I live for that stuff. I love watching it. Penalty kicks are already just this atrocity on TV. They're so weird and strange and incredibly entertaining at the same time. And Tim Krul makes them even better. I don't know. It all, it all just works for me with Tim Krul. So he's on my list too. So what about Emmy Martinez, if you like those kinds? Yeah, of, oh, I like, like Emmy Martinez. I, I think okay. that, that one's too recent. I need, to let, I need to let him age a little bit more before he, he can be eligible for this list. <laughs> like a fine uh, fruit housing wine. He, that's right. Yeah, I don't think what he did with that glove will age well at all, frankly. <laughs> very good. Guy, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to Miles Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Do many European fans show up to matches wearing a lot of team merch? To be fair, most fans look like they're wearing coats. Makes sense. But if you look at American sports fans, they show up decked out head to toe in team apparel. This one really got me thinking, Graham, because yeah. obviously I've, I've lived on both sides of the Atlantic. And when you do go to American sports uh, games, adults of any age, uh, any person will be wearing the team jersey. And it makes complete sense. But then I went to an AFC Wimbledon game over Christmas. Uh, there were there were 14 Baileys there, my extended family. I was the only one wearing a jersey outside of the children, uh, of the adults. And it seemed like I, I did a bit of research. And so I talked to a few friends. Like one of my friends who, who has a Millwall season ticket in South London he says he's got a rule like no man or person, I should say, over 30 should wear a jersey, like ever. And maybe if you're playing rec league, that's the only reason. Like, this is quite a strict one uh, as, a, as a rule, I'd say. And there was a poll I found online. Are you too old to wear a soccer jersey? And it was 50-50, yes or no, if you can mm. be too old to wear one, um, which I thought was fascinating because I, I, I just like would wear what I want. And I think it's regional as well, Graham, <laughs> because... In, I think in like in Newcastle, for example, you'd probably see more fans wearing Newcastle shirts because it's kind of cultural to Newcastle, maybe more so than London teams where, say, if you're a Millwall fan, like my friend is, they might not be wearing identifying clothing for other reasons. Uh-huh. So, Graham, as, as our kitmaster kit general, uh, your thoughts on this question? There is something in this, although I'm not sure it's as clear cut as Europeans don't wear merch and Americans do. So, so as a... As an Albion fan, I don't wear any merch to games with the exception of my scarf. I, I take my scarf with me and, and that's it. If I wore a shirt, I'd, I'd feel a bit like a tourist, although I'm, I'm not sure how many tourists are going to Sterling Albion matches. But I have noticed this at, at plenty of other clubs. If, if you're in the hardcore support, generally speaking, obviously I am generalising here, but generally speaking, you, you don't wear colours. So at Celtic, the Green Brigade, Brigade don't wear any colours. Look at the... Um, the cop at Anfield, the Stretford end at Old Trafford, find the hardcore in that in that in that crowd, and I bet you'll you'll see no colours. And I think some of it comes from maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this, but I think some of it comes from casuals culture. So so mm. look at those hardcore fans, and you'll see Stone Island and and pretty green jackets. But even people who aren't wearing those those sort of brands and 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 getting the badge in, it, they will be they'll be wearing jackets as Miles' uh, question references and. I have been a tourist myself, so I, when I'm in tourist mode, I went to see a classical at the Bernabeu. I, I bought a Real Madrid shirt, and I wore a Real Madrid shirt, shirt to that game. But if I was a fan of that team going every week, would I do that? I'm, I'm not sure that I would. I mean, when I go and watch Scotland, I don't wear any Scotland gear either. So, as I say, I'm, 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 I'm generalising, but Miles is right that there, there might be a difference but I don't know if it's down to nationality per se. It's it's, it's culture rather than nationality mm-hmm. because you still get plenty of Europeans decked out in all the merch. It's just that they might not be part of that that weekend uh, weekend weekend yeah. week out hardcore. I think culture is a part of it, and then I think 
like history of the culture is also part of it because looking at U.S. sports for a moment, the majority of them, if you are a fan attending a game, are going to be played in warm weather or indoors if it's basketball or even hockey. Uh, but I think most sports try to schedule it so that you're outside, so you're wearing sort of uh, less. It's going to be warmer. And pausing there, looking at England for the moment when you sort of move into the fall months and then play over winter – you're you're not going to want to wear just a t-shirt to a game and so that's where as far as i understand it scarf culture comes from is you wear your coat and then you wear the 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 scarf that's the color of your club and that's the way that you're sort of showing that that sort of direct connection and so in that way i think there's automatically going to be less decked out in merch because you're not wearing a, a hoodie in the 1960s you're wearing your overcoat and then a scarf uh whereas in the united states i think because it's it's warmer you're maybe going to wear just the jersey just the shirt and then on top of that there's less of a history or less of a culture of singing most like looking at the nfl for a moment i think there's always songs you sing when your team scores and you usually have the song played out over the pa everybody sings along but short of that you don't have the organized singing the sort of choreography that you get in in, uh, in European football. And so to some extent, I think wearing the colors, making the stadium all look like the color of the team is a way to create atmosphere, to kind of create an intimidating atmosphere. And so I think those two things uh, are, are a big part of it. And the final thing would just be that baseball hats are an American thing. And for the longest time, I feel like maybe that's changing in, in recent history. But for the longest time, if you went to Europe and you wore a baseball cap, you're an American immediately. Uh, it's it's wearing sneakers uh, and wearing a baseball cap to give you away right away. And there was, I think, an aversion to wearing baseball caps. Tony Pulis used to wear one for as long as I can remember, and he's the only manager I can remember doing that for many, many years. So I think that's another one where you'll have people going to an NFL game wearing the shirt uh, and and maybe uh, like a baseball hat as well, and maybe like, like Buffalo Bills pants too. Bills fans are insane, so why not wear those? <laughs> Whereas I don't think you're going to get as many baseball caps maybe you'll get like a knit cap with with the club logo or something or the colors of the club but for the most part i think it's it's a history of scarves and singing uh versus in the u.s i think it's more so wear a bunch of stuff to show your loyalty yeah it's interesting i, I, do, I do think there's something to it being a perception certainly in the uk that it's for younger people and for kids to be wearing jerseys as well like I, I wear one in the gym for example and i feel like i'm one of the few adults who would do that uh, Joe, any thoughts on this question? I don't really have anything else to add. I think culture is a part of it. I do really like Taylor's point about the the differences in how fans from different places show support. Like, yeah, you're not going to get people singing at a at an NFL game just randomly in, in any coordinated fashion other than when prompted by the PA. So I think when you have other outlets to show your support and when there are other cultural ties as well in Europe, you're, you're likely not going to be wearing as much outward stuff that's going to show who you're actually uh, cheering for. All right, thank you very much for that question, Miles. We'll be back with a few more after these messages. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists. Uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You got to spread the ball around. You got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a, a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. 
Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, one more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. What's the frequency Candice Sidon has been in touch? Do you think creating barriers for sports bars or pubs to turn soccer games on is an overlooked issue in soccer executives' aggressive move to streaming? Does this have a chance to make a big dent towards soccer viewing appeal and culture? Joe, this is something we touched on earlier in the show. So if you want to watch soccer comprehensively, uh, at a high level in the US, you need five streaming services by my count. You need Peacock, Paramount+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, HBO Max, and Apple TV for the new MLS deal. I think I've not missed any out there. But this is a point I think I've made before on this show. The average sports bar is not going to have five streaming service subscriptions to serve soccer fans. Soccer-specific bars, quite possibly. Even those might now have all of those, though. So there is... A consideration: If this, if the US wants to grow the game, then putting these barriers up and putting streaming services where they can't, where it's harder for uh, public places to show these games, is an issue, Joe. It is an issue. I, I, I don't think it's a massive issue, though. At least for me, it doesn't feel like a massive issue. I mean, are the are bars showing soccer games anyway? I know you're talking about growth. But realistically, like they're not, you're not watching soccer in yeah, a bar. That's so, not a. I mean, really, I'll, is that Joe, happening? Can I jump in? Yeah, please. Um, my favorite uh, casual dining experience place, it's uh, a name that sounds kind of spicy. I forget what it right. is. Oh, I, see, I used yeah. to go there every week. But like, there's, there's TVs everywhere. And at the time of day when I would go, I, there would quite often be, say, a Champions League game on. And I'd okay. say, could you put that on channel XYZ, please? And they'd do it. So that's the kind of thing that won't happen, I suppose, is my point. Yeah, you just gave away that you went to Chili's at 3 p.m., but I, I love that for you, Ryan. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, uh, also, also, Ryan, I think if you're looking for like... If your if your base layer is the chilies in Charlotte, and will they be a, so, like like uh, subscribing to a bunch of different paid packages? I think you might be looking in the wrong direction. But I also, well, no, but the same thing is true of a bunch of sports bars. I yeah. would also no, go that's to fair. There. That's fair. I, that's a fair point. I think you are missing out on a portion of the market. I think this is just objectively true, right? You're missing out on a portion of the market by making it harder for people to watch games. So the background here, and I had a good chat on the Discord about this with a bunch of different people, so thank you to all of them. The Discord is great. Check out TSS Patreon, uh, TSS Plus, excuse me, for access to that. Uh, bars restaurants can't legally hook up even their personal HBO Max subscriptions or their Apple TV Plus subscriptions or whatever it is to those TVs, so they have to have a different package. Now, whether that's actually being enforced or not, I don't know. Legally, it, it should be. You're not supposed to do that. Usually, and I learned this from the Discord, those those streamers will partner with more traditional cable suppliers to provide special packages for bars and restaurants and, and public places, that kind of thing. So again, there is a barrier and barriers are bad for exposing people to soccer and developing a culture. But I, I think streaming is so clearly the direction things are going right now that by the time we're a little bit further down the path and soccer is growing in the US and, and maybe we're getting closer to 2026 or we're past 2026, which is supposed to be this big boom for soccer in the United States. I think those details will be largely sorted out. And the bars that were going to show soccer already, or maybe some that weren't even, that have started to appreciate soccer and to have people come in that like soccer and want to watch soccer on TV, I think they're going to be able to figure that stuff out. I think it's also worth like discussing what barrier we're, just, we're talking about here. Because to your point, Ryan, like you can still watch the Champions League on broadcast television. You can still watch certain Premier League games on on TV, I think the same goes for the Bundesliga and La Liga. It's about which games you want to watch. If there's a specific one you want to watch, that's where the streaming packages have given so much more freedom. And that is where I would say that, yeah, if you want to watch a game, a Champions League game that isn't the main one that's being broadcast on TV, now you have to have that streaming service. But in the past, you wouldn't have been able to watch that game, period. Like There just wasn't that uh, access. There wasn't that opportunity. And so in that way, 
Like, I can see how if you want to be able to go to a bar and watch your specific team play, it requires that streaming service be uh, be a possibility. But at the same time, you can still go to sports bars and, and watch those big games. They're going to be on TV. You'll have a way to find them. It's about access to all of the games. And that's where I think maybe we'll just see more specificity. We'll see more bars be a La Liga bar or a Bundesliga bar or an MLS bar. And, and they'll have all of the different MLS games you want to watch. I think that is maybe a direction we might see bars go. I think for the longest time it was just... There's not many people showing up to watch soccer. I remember in my 20s going to a a sports bar like around the corner from my house that we were – it was me and two buddies. We were the only ones watching Manchester United. They had 400 TVs, and there was like one for soccer that we had, they begrudgingly turned on. Everybody else was watching college football. And every time something would happen in our game, everybody would look at us like we were weirdos because nothing had happened. We're at commercial break over here. I don't know what you guys are cheering <laughs> about. Um, so I think in that way – it requires bars themselves to sort of want to cater to a soccer crowd. I think the ones in Richmond that have have had a lot of success and have really gotten uh, capacity crowds at 10 a.m. when you wouldn't yeah. normally have those in a bar or restaurant. So I, I think it's not a full barrier, but I think if you want to have access to games the way I think people want to have access, it still requires you basically to watch from home or watch yeah. on a, a, a streaming device. I think oh, I, I think I agree with what you say, Taylor, but I respond to a couple of things. He's saying you could still watch the big games, but not when Peacock, say, put the North London Derby on streaming, on NBC do that, for example. And they've done that a few times. And uh, if you're in an MLS city, like uh, using Charlotte as an example, a lot of Charlotte bars who might want to show, who were showing Charlotte FC games on over-the-air television all last season will now not have the opportunity to show every game. And even so, and even the the US women's national team, both of their friendlies, their first games of 2023 in a World Cup year and the first USMNT game of a new World Cup cycle are all exclusively on streaming platforms, not not over the air TV. So I I agree generally with your point Taylor, but Ryan, I I was also thinking about that. I know there's more of a sports bar culture in in the US than there is in the UK, but is it that big a part of is it is it that big a culture that it would make such a dent that Apple and MLS will care. How many people are watching games in, in, in bars in 2023? And and given that yeah. Apple will not care about this for another 10 years because they've just sold the rights for $2 billion or whatever it is to Apple. So the only ones who are measuring that is is Apple. So if you have, if that helps convert some of those people who would go to bars and watch games, yeah, okay, maybe you're not getting... 20 people watching the game in a bar but if you're converting three of those 20 pe- uh, 20 people into paying subscribers for MLS then Apple's happy with that. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot has to do with market demand. That I think about uh, the bars here in Richmond that show that show soccer regularly. So like Penny Lane Pub is around the corner from us. It's a Liverpool and I think Tottenham bar. If suddenly you could only watch Premier League games via Peacock subscription. My assumption would be they would get a Peacock subscription because everybody would stop going to that bar. You would have the organizers of those groups say, hey, we, we need to have this game to have that. We have to have a Peacock subscription. Is that something you all are willing to do? And I think people will vote with their feet. If the bar stops showing the games, they're going to go somewhere else. Uh, and then for uh, Gus's, the other big soccer bar here in Richmond, uh, they are, I think, or were the location for American Outlaws. So again, my assumption would be that if they want to keep having American Outlaw games there or American Outlaws attend their games, they're going to find a way to broadcast those U.S. women's games and the U.S. men's games as well. So I think to answer your question, Graham, I think a lot of it depends on the relationship between the supporters groups and the bars themselves. I think that is kind of the the big thing. If you're just a person walking in saying, hey, I want to watch this random Bundesliga game. Why don't you have ESPN Plus going? I don't know if that's going to work as well as if you yeah. are a, a, if you've organized a Union Berlin supporters group in Richmond and there are 25 people showing up to every single uh, game on the weekend. Then I feel like the bar is more likely to get that streaming yeah. service to make sure that you guys keep coming. And and that's something I already do. So I've been in the States on holiday when I want I want to watch a big Champions League game or, or something. I will call ahead and, and ask them, are you going to be showing this game? And so I, I, I will target a, a, a bar that I think is likely to have soccer. For instance, what's one in New York? Is it, is it Legends Chilis. or something like that? Um, so that they're likely to have the subscription packages, I would suggest. So that will still be a destination for, for soccer fans. 
Indeed. All right, Kenny, thank you very much for that question. Let's squeeze in a couple more before we go. Steve Hidalgo wants to know, what's the history behind the Loney can't play against their parent club rule? Is it specific only to the Premier League? We've seen a few, Joe, instances of this. Uh, Dean Henderson, it seems to affect um, quite a lot having Men United as a parent club, uh, not being able to play against him in the League Cup semi-finals coming up. He's had the same thing a few times, but Sheffield United as well, I believe. Uh, it's not a FIFA rule, um, but it is certainly a rule in the Premier League and in the EFL below the Premier League. It is a rule, but you need written and consent. Scotland. And Scotland yeah, too, so, so there you go. But it's not the case uh, everywhere, Joe. No, it's not the case everywhere. So La Liga, I believe, Graham, correct me if I'm wrong, is fine with it, but there are individual clauses that can be placed Fear in any of these clauses. contracts to... To, to restrict this kind of thing. Yeah, it's up to the individual league, right? It's up to the individual governing body here to decide what they want to do. So again, I believe the Champions League doesn't restrict this kind of thing. So there are certain cup competitions where you know you could be on loan, Aubameyang could be on loan to Chelsea and they could match up with Barcelona in the Champions League and that's a bad example, but they could play against each other, right? And everything would be fine. So it very much depends on the specific situation in the specific context the one thing i couldn't find is when this rule was instituted yeah, i don't know if any either. i don't know if anybody found this but it's it's just in the rule book i couldn't find you know this was instituted in 2000 or in 1990 or in 1950 or whatever i i could not find that so i'm sorry steve to not be able to answer that part of your question but no it is not specific only to the Premier league but it is not everywhere at the same time yeah, so La Liga, La Liga got rid of this rule a few seasons ago, and it was a big deal at, at the time. I think a lot of people... So looking at the Premier League and why this rule is in place, the intention is to protect the, the integrity of the game. The, the Premier League argues that by ruling it out entirely, the prospect of a, a lone player playing against their parent club, they, they're avoiding a situation where a player may have an impact on, 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 on a game on the instruction of whether that is subconscious or otherwise of of their parent club and there was a big because because la liga is so paranoid and you have the whole barcelona real madrid uh, dynamic and a lot of those lone players are coming from those two big clubs to smaller clubs in la liga there was not a lot of paranoia about how this would change things and i don't think it's been discussed ever since and you've had you've had lone players scoring against parent clubs and people are mature enough to accept that if you're a professional soccer player you're, you're not really going to hold back against your parent club. In fact, in a, a lot of times, the opposite is, is true. They're trying to catch the eye of their parent club. They're trying to, they're trying to make a good impression. So I, I would like the Premier League to, to get rid of it. I would like Scottish football to get rid of it. We are a bit of an exception. It is a little bit of an outlier because it's allowed in the Champions League, which is the, is, is the top competition in European soccer. I'm, I'm pretty sure Barcelona remember how Philip Coutinho got two goals and an assist for Bayern Munich when he was on loan there in, in, a, in a Champions League game against them. And I'm, I'm sure they didn't really care because they were losing that game anyway. But yeah, I say get rid of the rule. All right, Graham says get rid of the rule. So I guess we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Settled. Cool. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Uh, Taylor, any more to say on this one? Or No, we... I think we've covered it. Excellent stuff. We have indeed. Thank you, Steve, for that question. Bonus question time. One more to squeeze in here. Jordan Rowe has asked, who wins in a five-a-side game? Ryan's neighbourhood acquaintances or the USMNT? <laughs> so uh, I live in a neighbourhood called Ojata in Rome. Um, it's gated in security, so don't come at me, stalkers. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's a couple of kilometers away from Formello. Where so this is just going to be Ryan Bailey indulges himself for like five minutes. I just wanted to be very clear about that up front once we got who, to the gated who, community part of this conversation. Question for you, Taylor. Who picks the questions? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a gated community and there's a Chili's in there yeah. and a Starbucks. It's mini USA. It would be wonderful if that were the case. There are quite a lot of athletes in this neighborhood, though, Graham. The ones I know mm. are here. Uh, so this is a serious question, Taylor. I know that Chiro Imabile is in here. I know that Luis Alberto is in here. I know that Matteo Zaccagni is in here because I saw him at the supermarket last week. Now, that's all the ones I know for sure. I know that Pepe Reina and Lucas Leiva were here, but they left last season. So I think I could get three good players minimum. Are these all Lazio players? These are all Lazio players. Just to players. clarify. Yeah, yeah. Because right. so, as I was explaining, Formello, their training ground is literally like down the street. Right, okay. So, so I was going to say, as if, if you live in a Lazio neighborhood, what makes it a Lazio neighborhood? It's called and, Right and Wing Acres. Fascism that Did you, you not know that, Graham? Right Wing Acres is the name of the development. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right Wing Acres. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, So yeah, basically it's because of the proximity to the training ground uh, that lots of them tend to live here. And yeah, I'm not going to dig into the political stuff very much. But uh, so I suppose the question is, Joe, can Lazio beat the USMNT? Oh, absolutely, they can. I think the U.S. is probably a little bit better. They take Chiro Imobi. Um, shoot, you said it so well, Ryan. And Chiro I feel Imobi, like I, Yeah, they would take him in a heartbeat for their number so nine spot. You can see. Uh, <laughs> Duolingo has taught you well, Ryan. Respect. Yeah. That's what 700 Days will do for you. Not the bird. Um, I, I think the U.S. is still the better team on talent. Uh, especially if you've got three players and, and the U.S. can put together five for this five-a-side match. So I, I do love <laughs> I'll the I'll be in the team. I, I think, yeah, three players versus five. I think Jordan Rowe, I, I love where you're coming out with this question. <laughs> <That was a laughs> bad. But I'm I'm going with the U.S. on this one. It is close, though. It's closer than any of our neighborhoods would be, I'm okay. sure of that. I bet there's more in here. Um, find them. I'll find See, them. I wondered if it was your neighborhood in Rome, or I'll always remember that one time Ryan called London his hometown, <laughs> and that... And that <laughs> that felt weird. So if his neighborhood is all of London, then maybe they well, would actually beat the USMNT. The more, the more interesting question, who could beat the is it the USMNT wins or my brother's neighborhood? Which yeah, I that's what I was thinking of. Tammy Abraham's so, in there, right? Tammy Abraham lives down the yep. street. Mason yep. Mount, Declan Rice. Uh, Benteke literally lives across the street, but he's in DC. He's still got the house, though. Mm. Um, and Ollie Palmer of uh, Wrexham, AFC Wrexham, <laughs> is also in the neighborhood, too. He still lives there. He commutes for real. I, man. Why don't my burglars know this? I should maybe that's the information I should pass on to them. Send them on over, all Graham. Together. If you want to know how bougie my brother's uh, neighbourhood is, Graham, when his his son went out for a play date with another kid who lived down the street, there was a security detail following them. Oh my! <laughs> is he is playing with Johnson? one of the royal family? Yeah, what's happening here? Bougie, yeah. That's, wow. That's another world. It's another world. Anyway. It's a Russian oligarch. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we, we've decided that the USMNT still beats various neighborhoods, I think. Yeah. So very good. Barely. Very good. Okay. Joseph, thank you very much for your contributions in this here listener questions episode. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Graham Rutherford, I hope we haven't disrupted your tennis viewing too much. 4-4 in the deciding set, Ryan Bailey. It's all to be settled. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Taylor Rocco, does that excite you? Oh, so much so. So much so. 4-4 in the deciding set. Still all to play for. Uh, Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) There's a lot of tennis left in that one, Taylor. A lot of tennis left in it. We shall see how it turns out. Listener probably already knows. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, listener. But for now, bye! Bye!